Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm Jenna Ellis, and welcome to Just the Truth Podcast, sponsored by the Thomas More Society, which is a not-for-profit national public interest law firm dedicated to restoring respect in law for life, family, and religious liberty. You can find them at thomasmoresociety.org. So breaking this week, my good friend and soon-to-be New York's best friend, Andrew Giuliani, has announced his run for governor against Andrew Cuomo. Well, as I told him yesterday, somebody should. Absolutely, we need to take New York back and make sure that that lying creep, Governor Cuomo, is out of office. So this is what Andrew Giuliani posted yesterday. From the Montauk Lighthouse Beacon, protecting our shoreline to the wondrous falls of the Niagara, to the eternal torch of liberty. New York is a historical gateway to America. The character of New Yorkers, bold and brash, making possible the impossible. Like our mighty waters, we New Yorkers are facing turbulent times. Some elected to lead us say our best days are in the past, that New York's glory is behind it. Their very policies are like self-fulfilling prophecies. What an honor and pleasant surprise during these hard times. I thank the International Academy for this incredible award. At the first sign of a problem, they choose to shut us down. They take away our freedoms. They quarantine healthy people. They ask for help, and when it comes, they don't use it. They send the sick to infect our elderly. But who cares? They died. And then they try to cover it up. They promote women's rights No woman invites sexual abuse ever. But they exploit and harass them. Businesses shuttered, streets vacant, icons of innovation, jobs, industry, laid to waste by partisan politics. Defund the police, let criminals run free, keep our kids out of school, and all the while raise taxes. It's time for a change. Like my parents before me, New York is in my blood. I've been raised through New York. I know who we are, what we can be, and where we need to go. We tell it like it is, and we never back down. It's time to bring New York back. It's time, once again, for great people to do great things. It's time to stand and honor the great heroes of New York. The greatest chapters of New York are yet to be written. And as your governor, Let's write the greatest comeback story ever. It's time to bring back New York. Dear Giuliani, bravo. I am so inspired by this. Thank you for running and thank you for joining me tonight on Just the Truth. Jenna, look, thank you so much for having me. As you said before, you're a great friend and a great American. And look, uh, the one thing about New York is 
whether you've been to New York, whether you lived in New York your whole life, or whether you've just seen it in the movies, New York means something to everybody, not just in America, but in the world. At least that's what we as New Yorkers like to <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I had traveled uh, back and forth to New York so much before the shutdown, and I miss it, actually. I mean, I had, um, even though I'm a small-town girl from Colorado, I had uh, gone there, saw the life and the culture, and it is, you know, one of the greatest places on the face of the earth. And to see what Andrew Cuomo has done and how he accepted an award for leadership, and it came out this week, um, over $5 million in book revenue. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I think he should give that to the family. Families like our good friend Janice Dean, who were yeah. personally affected by his just reckless decisions. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, look, Jenna, you saw it from the inside exactly how anybody, yourself included, obviously, another guy named Giuliani was, was treated if you had any type of relation to Trump whatsoever. Could you have imagined if somebody named Trump or Giuliani or Ellis would have actually gotten a $5 million book deal and they were working in the federal government? I mean, Uh, It would be unbelievably uh, like the media would not be able to handle it. So the fact that they're just letting this go and sweeping this under the rug the same way that they're sweeping under the rug, the fact that Andrew Cuomo is responsible for at least 9000 of those 15000 senior senior citizens deaths because of his ego. Donald Trump sent up USF's comfort. Andrew Cuomo did not want to use it because he did not want to give Donald Trump the political win. That's ego. And that's what costs those senior citizens their lives. It's time for a change, as I said. And that change has to happen in 2022. Absolutely. And I am so grateful that you are stepping up uh, to the plate and actually calling him out like so many people have. But you're calling him out in a very different way. And I think um, that you're going to win this. And I'm waiting, Andrew, for you know the FBI raid on Andrew Cuomo's house. I mean, where is that? Where is, <laughs> with all of the, the ridiculous hypocrisy from the government, like you said, why aren't they holding him accountable? It's a complete double standard, right? I mean, just think about this. Think about, let's go back to the way that they treated James Clapper for lying to Congress, the way they treated John Brennan for lying to Congress. Let's see what happened to that. Nothing, absolutely nothing happened because there's a D in front of their name. The Justice Department, and you've seen this from the inside, Jenna, the Justice Department has been completely not just politicized, but corrupted at this point. And, and that is, it's not America. You know, uh, my wife is from Lithuania. Her mom lived 46 years of her life under Soviet oppression. And she says herself, that the press today is closer to Pravda than it is a free press in the United States. That needs to stop, it needs to be turned around, and it's why leaders like yourself who go out there and fight that fight every single day, it's why we need other young leaders like myself to get in and run for office, and frankly, to go win, which we're gonna do. Yes, and to stand up for truth. And you and your family have a legacy throughout American history that you have stood up for truth, have faced the odds, have always overcome every challenge. And so as you look forward to this campaign, uh, what is the one thing that is motivating you to say, I'm going to win this thing and I'm going to turn it around for New York? You know, I always believe that New York will be turned around. But the truth is, if we don't act in 2022, that turnaround is not going to happen until like we're grandparents. I want that to happen now. I want my kids to experience and see the turnaround that I as a child saw in New York City. City. I have the playbook to do that. We're going to make sure that we make that we that New York is the economic furnace. We light an economic furnace under New York by deregulating and by cutting taxes and incentivizing businesses to start their business in New York. 
We're going to make sure that parents have the option of school choice and charter schools. So that way, those parents who may not be able to afford parochial or private school can give their children a better option. And we're certainly going to make sure that New York has record-setting crime reduction. This is not just an issue in New York City. It's an issue in Buffalo. It's an issue in Albany. And frankly, it's an issue in American cities all across the, uh, all across the country. So what's motivating me? What's motivating me is I know we can do it. There was a time in the early 90s where they said New York City was ungovernable. They're saying it about the state. We're going to get it done. Thank you for having me, Jenna. <laughs> this is awesome. Well, Andrew Giuliani, you are a great American. I wish you the best. And come back anytime and update us on your campaign. We'll be right back with more on Just the Truth. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome back to Just the Truth, and I am so excited for my next guest because there are some times when America needs heroes, when America needs truth tellers that are willing to go beyond the expected and to make sure that they are willing to speak truth even if their identity, like superheroes, are hidden. Joining me exclusively tonight is the interview that we've all been waiting for with my good friend, Cat Turd. And our good friend, Il Donato Trumpo, or El Presidente, provided this exclusive clip for Walk On Music. It is a party, and so I had to, of course, do the, the cat face because cat lawyer is a thing, uh, cat turd. And if, if you are not following cat turd on Twitter and you're not seeing the brilliant expose of American culture, you got to follow at cat turd, too, right now. So thank you, my friend, for joining me. Hey, hey, hey. What's happening? <laughs> well, I just love that it is a party in here. And, you know, I have to ask you, um, how did this persona develop? Because anyone who, well, if, if they're not following you on Twitter, they have no idea what we're talking about right now. And they're thinking, oh, my gosh, what's going on on Just the Truth? But for everyone, um, all of your fans out there, they want to kind of know what's the story behind your superhero status? Well, um, 
the truth is I've never been on any social media before in my life. And it was about, I've only been there about two and a half years now, about two and a half years ago. And I just decided one day to join Twitter. I didn't know anybody on Twitter. Like I said, I'd never been on social media before. I was 54 years old at the time. And I, and I just said, I'm just going to join. And so I was just flipping through, and I saw that cat, and I just said, hey, I'll call myself Cat Turd. It took five minutes, and then I just joined and just started talking. Wow. And when, when, when did this really take off? Because you now have a podcast. You've written uh, books that are bestsellers, even more than Hunter. I think that you've sold more books than Hunter Biden. Um, shocker, of course, you know, that because everyone, of course, is interested in Hunter's book. But, um, you know, how did this kind of develop <laughs> that this really took off as a persona? I, I really don't know. You know, um, I, I remember the first month it was like one time I was like, man, I got 10 likes. I'm jamming. I'm a superstar. I got 10 likes. And um, it just, I, I don't know when it just kind of took off. It just started gaining momentum. You know, you know, my first blue check mark that followed me, though, was Cousin Eddie. So it's all, you know, you can't lose when Cousin Eddie's your, your first blue check mark that follows you. Yes, that's amazing. And then Randy you Quay. Get, really? Oh, my gosh. So who are some of your most <laughs> prominent, um, prominent blue check followers? <laughs> Who, who who follows me? Who are some of your most prominent blue check followers? Yeah. Um, uh, Tom Fitton and uh, Don Jr. Nice. James Woods. So you got Jenna Ellis. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes. I'm, don't don't put me in the blue check category. That's almost a negative. But thanks. Yeah. But um, so so you know when you when you talk about all of the things and the the culture and the commentary, I think what a lot of people like about you and why I retweet you so often is because you're willing to stand up and say things and call things how they are and to just cut through all of the mess of the liberal ideology and just stand up for the truth. And so, um, I mean, so, so what kind of is the, is the mindset, I guess, behind this? I don't know. You know, I've been, I've been into, um, I was, I was a musician most of my life. People don't know that. I was a singer and a songwriter and a guitarist. And, um, you know, when you're a musician 30, 40 years ago, <laughs> 30 years ago, you have to learn to do something like build decks or something cause you don't make any money. <laughs> so, um, it was early 90s, and we used to sit up and, and do construction, and, and I started listening to Rush Limbaugh, and that's when I started getting into politics real big. So I'm a Rush baby. That's great. So and, many of uh, us are. Yeah, and so I just, I, I've just i been into politics, and I don't, I don't know, you know. I'm just, I'm just a, a simple old country boy, and I just, I just kind of say it like it is. And, you know, I like to throw, you know— you, you have to keep your fun in this. Liberals like to suck the fun out of everything. So you got to make it funny. You got to uh, still, you know, nothing makes them uh, more mad than if you're having fun and you don't take them seriously. Yes. They hate that. Absolutely. And I think that that's one of uh, the, the great ways that President Trump and all of the social media, I mean, even the clip that we that we played, I loved that our friend Il Donato Trumpo uh, gave that clip. It was very sweet of him to create that just for this show for us. And, um, you know, to, to show that President Trump loves having fun, I mean, dancing to YMCA, coming out at the rallies and just, just laughing. I mean, he's actually one of the funniest people with the best sense of humor that I've ever met. And you're right. I mean, liberal 
liberals can't stand that because they they f live in this universe that is so dictated by hate, that's so dictated by negativity, and they claim to be the most tolerant people in the world, yet uh, they're the ones who have fear around every corner, like with, with the coronavirus. I mean, you've been a prolific tweeter on calling out the ridiculousness of Dr. Fauci and masks and all of that. So, I mean, talk about your perspective on, on uh, Fauci yeah. and well, the coronavirus. I, I, well, I, I was uh, one of the only ones on Twitter. I mean, there was a bunch of conservatives, too, at the time. Said, oh, let's just do 15 days. It needs to be done. I was uh, emphatic about it. we cannot ever shut this down for 15 days. You cannot give these people uh, power over yourself, you know, like that. So I was uh, very unpopular there for two or three weeks when I said, no, do not give power to these people and these governors and these Democrats because they're, they're never going to want to give it back. You just can't, you just can't give your freedoms up like that. And, you know, I live in Florida and we have a, yeah. Do you live in Florida, too? I don't even know. <laughs> no, I'm here in D.C., but my home state's Colorado. Oh. So, I mean, so I have Boo. a very interesting governor. I know. Oh, I know. At least it's not my, my home non-state, and D.C. is going to stay a non-state. Uh, but, you know, Colorado politics, um, for everybody watching, is very interesting because Jared Polis is actually, I think, for being a Democrat, a very decent governor. And it's because, at heart, he's a capitalist. Um, and that's really interesting for being a Democrat. And, you know, we can get into that. But your your state governor, Ron DeSantis, um, everyone Man. is such a fan. Yeah, if you don't know, too, that uh, I've, I've been I've been living in the state for a long time. And um, I've seen the governors come and go here, and I, I've never seen one that's more amazing than him. And I live in North Florida in a, in a small town, and it's 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 really been like the coronavirus doesn't even exist here. Nobody wears masks. I don't even own a mask. I've never worn a mask. Wow. And uh, everybody kind of just lives normal life here. Everybody just, you know, ignores it. And the hospitals aren't full. And, you know, all the lies they try to tell about Florida. But if we've learned anything in the past year, a year and a half, is how important it is to, to uh, what governor you have. I mean, that to me, that was just, even though I was political, the, for years, you know, you got a good governor, bad governor, whatever. It was no big deal. It was all about the president. But it's just as important who you have for governor right now as it is for president. Absolutely. And I think one of the, uh, that you're right, one of the main civics lessons that we've all learned about the brilliance of federalism and we've seen how uh, differently the states have responded depending on whether there's a conservative versus um, a progressive governor and how that has really differentiated the states. And so um, so speaking of Florida uh, and, and Governor DeSantis, um, one, of, one of the things that, that I tweeted out was asking, you know, who should be the running mate when uh, President Trump announces, I believe he will, of his run for a second term. And I said, you know, hey, what about DeSantis? And you were very emphatic. Don't steal my governor. <laughs> so what's your hello? Yeah. So what's what's behind I, that? I lost you for a minute. Yeah. No worries. You know these phones oh, well, sometimes, it, and I'm I'm sure with the pause, it's all it's all difficult. So. Okay. Okay. Here's here's the deal with DeSantis. You can have him for president, but you can't have him for vice president. Oh. I'm not going to allow it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you're willing. Okay. So if so if he's if he's president, you're willing for the good of the country. Um, yeah. So, but not, not vice president. 
Okay. Okay. Well, so who then is kind of in the Florida landscape? Who do you see as kind of waiting in the wings um, to to come after DeSantis if and when, you know, he does uh, run for president or vice president? Is there a good climate I, I, there? I, there, there it's, it's like trying to replace Trump. There is no replacement. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's, it's, it'd be the same thing as saying, how do we replace Trump as president? You can't. And so and I'm hoping and, and, and I, I want Trump to to run, period. I, I want Trump to run uh, and I want him to win back the White House. But I just don't want uh, this. Then after he wins for his for his last term, then I want DeSantis running for president. Yeah. But I just you know, we need him here. Uh, we had, you know, you're talking about all this election fraud and all this election shenanigans going on. Uh, he, he did. I mean, we had Rick Scott before him. He didn't do nothing. He just kept. We had the biggest uh, cheating zone in, in, in the world in Broward County, Florida. Everybody knew it in the United States. Brenda Snipes was there. And I don't care what election we had, if a Republican was winning, they would count in that county for a month. I mean, this has been going on for 20 years here. It, and, and so they would count. I mean, Ron DeSantis won by like 130,000 votes on election night, and they just kept counting in Broward County and kept counting. Mm-hmm. It got to 180. Then 60, then 55. You know, four weeks later, we're going, man, what are they doing? Yeah, this is nothing new. And, uh, you know, we're going to have to take a break right here, but we will be back to talk more with Cat Turd, my good friend, here on Just the Truth. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to Just the Truth, and we're continuing the conversation with my good friend, Kat Turd, who is a prolific social influencer on Twitter. And if you are not following him, listening to his podcast, you really should, because like every great American, just speaking truth, speaking boldly and courageously how it is, that's how we disrupt the liberal narrative. And that's how we get out the truth. And we need to make sure that our voices are heard, not just through our vote, but also to make sure that we are continuing to influence and be leaders to make sure that we are paving the way so that other people know, hey, it is okay for me to also stand up and speak boldly with the truth. So, Kat Turd, thanks so much for joining me tonight. Really appreciate it. Yeah, you're Thank you for the invite. Yeah, this is great. And, you know, um, it was it was great this came about because I think you, uh, you messaged me the other day like, hey, when am I going to get the invite? And I thought, oh, my gosh, I have finally landed the interview when Cat Turd is asking <laughs> to come on the show. So, um, <laughs> so the biggest interview of your life. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, like, like I told you, you don't see any of the other networks that have the exclusive with Cat mm-hmm. Turd. So I feel very special that you are joining us tonight and uh, giving all of us here at Just the Truth at this opportunity. And I want to ask you about the future of the GOP. I mean, we're talking in the last segment about Florida, the landscape there, why Ron DeSantis has been such an effective governor. I mean, he stands for truth and principled American values. And so as we look at 
kind of um, what I think the, the mainstream media is accurately describing as a split in the GOP. You have the old establishment people like Liz Cheney. You just have, you know, the beef with Trump. You have the rhinos who uh, really are liberals. They're not, they're not conservatives. But then you have this huge majority of MAGA, America first Trump supporters that genuinely understand what it is that we're preserving. So where do you see the future of the GOP? Well, it, this has been a hard one for me because I've always supported Republicans and I've always tried to change them from within. And, and I, I, I was edging on third party time, although I know a third party can't get anywhere. I know the old arguments, but I am so tired of voting these people in. And then just the first day, they just, they just, they're, they're just, it's just like day one. But I remember we have Mark, Marco Rubio here, and he got swept in on the Tea Party wave. Uh, here in Florida, and he was just—I mean, he was going to be, you know, uh, like a Donald Trump. He was going to be this and that. And then the first week, he sold out and and, and supported amnesty. You know? Wow! And and you just get tired. You you just you just get tired of it. And and at some point, I, I just know this personally. I'm not voting for any other Republican unless they get on, you know, our, our wavelength of America First, fight, and and. And if they'll just stop being uh, cowards and spineless, look, look, look what uh, about to Ron DeSantis, what he's done to this state in two years is, is, is remarkable. I mean, he's cleaned out. He, the first thing he did is went down to Broward County, fired everybody, you know, and everybody started, you know, here comes the liberal press piling on. But does he care? Nope. I'm going to fire everybody. He goes in there and clean house. And then, I mean, he, he, is, he is also – he has uh, uh, put in the most uh, stringent election laws in any state right now. I mean, there's no more ballot harvesting. There's no more mail-in voting. There's no more anything in the state. And he's just and, – and you you see how they attack him, but he just keeps going. And if we could just have – imagine having 46 senators like him and uh, 200-and-something uh, House members like him. I mean, we'd be unstoppable, but mm -hmm. they just – they're so weak. It, it drives me crazy. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And, you know, when we look back to our founders, I mean, they were a very small group of patriots, but they were all firmly committed and they literally pledged their lives, their fortunes and their sacred honor on recognition of principles first and making sure that um, the then government that was invading and infringing upon their liberties and freedoms would not prevail. And that they said, you know, we appeal to a higher uh, power than that. We appeal to a higher law and a divine lawgiver. And they were resolute in their firm reliance on divine providence. And I love seeing people like Ron DeSantis and President Trump who are willing to stand firm and say, it doesn't matter what anybody's saying that's false about me. I'm going to stand up for truth anyway. And I think you're absolutely right that if we had more of those types of statesmen instead of politicians, we would be unstoppable. And um, I mean, do you see any others that are of kind of that same ilk in Congress or among the state governors? I mean, you know, so like Christy Nome, for example, I was really um, excited about her when I was there at Mount Rushmore and heard her speech that uh, was very much on the founding principles. But then she's kind of been wishy-washy yep. on some of the other issues. I mean, so she she, she blew she blew it she blew it she 
uh, it was on the tra- the transgender rule, and then mm-hmm. she's like, well, the lawyers say this. That's not how you do it, and that's not how Democrats fight. It's principle. You you know, you, you don't veto that. You just you sign it, and that's it. And then since then, what, 20,000 uh, other states have signed the same thing, Republicans. Now she looks foolish. But you cannot, you just cannot be weak like that, even for a second. You, you have to stand firm and realize that, the, I mean, these people play for keeps. These liberals, they're brutal. Mm-hmm. So yeah, absolutely. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, and this is something where um, you, you always have to do the right thing. And, you know, she should have just said, fine, I'll see you in court and defend that, especially exactly. when it was model legislation. Yeah. I mean, what's she so afraid of? It's going to be in court anyway. That's it. it, it you, you sign it, don't sign it. It's going to be in court anyway. So right. what, what? what's your point? You know, I mean, Right. I don't know. And, and and look how fast everybody kind of dropped her because we just we've and, and everybody just takes this big side and says, here we go again with another one. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and it just we're tired of it. Just just do what you say you're going to do. Like you're talking about the founding fathers. You know, they had their lives and their families lives. They could have been shot and killed and hung and, and tortured and killed. And, and now we got Republicans that are scared to be called racist by Rachel Maddow. <laughs> right. Right. It's like if that's the worst thing that happens to you, actually wear that with a badge yeah. of pride and say, wow, some liberal idiot is calling me a fake name. I don't care. I'm going to move forward. And, you know, we, we live in such a culture of pansies, you know, and in, in, in a culture of cowards oh. that the worst thing is words being such an offense. And I just I think it's terrible. But I also think that like you, there are, and like me, there are millions of Americans who are tired of it. And I think we are seeing kind of a resurgence of the courageous America that says, no, we're willing to stand firm on principles of liberty. Yeah, it's, and, and if you're going to, if you're going to get out there and um, like me and you, I mean, I get, how many times you get cussed out and called evil and every name in the book every day? I do too. I mean, you just, it, it's part of it. You just got to um, stand strong. If, if you're going to get out there, you're going to get attacked. So just get, you know, don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. So, well, so it sounds like you're not uh, regretting the or ruining the day that you decided, hey, I'm going to open up a social media account as as Gatterd. <laughs> so, I mean, are are you enjoying the the prolific social media influence and a way to actually influence the conversation? Oh yes, I, I love it. You know, I'm 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 someone who in real life laughs and jokes and. And the people I hang around, we all uh, just do nothing but laugh and joke and have fun. And that's what I've been trying to tell everybody. Just um, don't let the liberals suck the joy out of your life. They're joyless. They're miserable. And and they want you to be joyless and miserable, too. So just have fun. And um, Joe Biden's in there now, but we can still have fun. We can still fight in our own way. And everybody has their own way to fight. You know, I do it through humor and through this and that and and, – other people do it different ways, but but you need every tool in the toolbox to fight this, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, just whatever you bring to the table, bring it, but get it, get in the game. Yes, that's really wise words, and uh, you know, and you have a podcast now that is you know one of the most listened to, and um, you know, talk a little bit about what uh, what inspired that and what topics you cover. Well, uh, my podcast is on Patriots in Tune, and we're on different. Uh, 
venues of things all, all the time because YouTube wants to ban us, you know, for you can't say anything on YouTube anymore. So we skip around a little bit on Rumble and everything we can get on. But, yeah, I um, I was a guest host on um, uh, uh, Patriots in Tune with Jules and Toots. That's, that's their name. One's from California. One's a, a New York uh, a New York guy, and I'm kind of a redneck here in, in, in North Florida. So um, we just had fun, the show I'd done, and it, we just have a good rapport between us three. And um, it's just, we just have fun. Every, I don't know what we're going to talk about every week. Uh, they plan the show out. It's every Wednesday uh, from 1 o'clock Eastern to 2 o'clock. And now we're at another hour, so it's going to be from 12 uh, noon to 2 o'clock every Wednesday. That's great. And, you know, I love it because, um, like my hometown crew, I mean, I started my uh, media venture, I guess, um, just after I wrote my book and I was invited onto a local radio station with um, two of, uh, you know, the, the greatest guys, greatest patriots who, you know, own their own businesses. They're just there talking about good traditional American values, family, faith, freedom. And we just talked and they, you know, they said, um, this is, this is a really great book. Why don't you come back and talk about the law more? And, uh, you know, that started kind of the same thing, you know, just my, uh, my willingness to come on and to talk about things with a community of patriots and of people who genuinely love America. And I think that's what people love so much about those kind of alternative sites, um, because, you know, the mainstream media is just so, so boring, so elitist. They don't cover the things. Yeah. So, you know, for people like you um, who are patriots, I really appreciate your voice so much. And um, so thank you so much. Yeah, for uh, for being who you are, and uh, definitely for uh, for continuing your voice. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for the invite. <laughs> Absolutely, this has been great. Well, that is uh, Cat Turd, my good friend. Definitely follow him on Twitter and listen to the radio show. And. Always remember that you too have a voice, whether it's social media, whether it's just your sphere of influence, whether it's your family dinner table, make sure that you are boldly, courageously speaking truth wherever you're at. We're gonna be right back with more. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Joining me now is the author of a brand new book called Woke Inc. Inside Corporate America's Social Justice Scam. Really excited to read this book. Author Vivek Ramaswamy joins me now. So welcome to Just the Truth. Glad to be here. Yeah, so uh, this to me seems like it's all about follow the money. And when we look at the social justice war that seems very emotional from the left, uh, your book I think is focusing on a very different element. Uh, talk to me about what that entails. Yeah, sure. Well, look, I'm not writing as a journalist. I actually came from elite institutions myself. I went to places like Harvard and Yale for undergrad and law school. I worked in hedge funds for a while. I founded a biotech company that's thankfully gone on to become a success in the world of developing medicines. But I left my job as a CEO because I needed to speak freely, not as an executive, not as a CEO, 
but as a citizen to reveal what I think is actually the defining scam of our time. And it basically works like this. If you're a business, you pretend like you care about something other than the pursuit of profit and power, precisely to aggregate more profit and power. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, it's a pretty good gig if you if you get it. You show to conferences in fancy ski towns to applaud diversity and inclusion, maybe muse about the racially disparate impact of climate change or whatever it is, of course, coming in and out on a, on a private jet. And that's not a bad life for those who live it. But the reason I'm really, uh, I would say, defecting from that game is that I don't think it's good for American democracy. And it's come to a point where this is actually dividing the country to a breaking point, perverting America from being a democratic one person, one vote system into a corporatocracy where a small group of elites decide behind closed doors what's good for the rest of society. And to me, that's not America. That might be a version of old world Europe where church leaders and business elites got together to decide in a back room what was good for the rest of society. But if America was born on one idea, it was that we work out our social differences and our moral differences through our democracy, where everyone's voice carries equal weight. And while I personally don't consider that to be either a right wing or a left wing idea, today it's it's a new notion that liberals espouse this idea of stakeholder capitalism. And this book is both a pointed critique of stakeholder capitalism, the idea that businesses ought to play these social roles, and also a critique in particular of now the woke philosophy that's at the forefront of what these many of what many businesses are pushing today. So. I decided to take that on and you know, not enough people are talking about these topics out in the open that I figured it was important that somebody step up and speak honestly about his Absolutely. own experiences in my case. And that's yeah. why I wrote the book. That's fantastic. And I think you're right that more people need to step up and be truthful about what's actually going on. And so, you know, a, a lot of things that you just said there, and I want to follow up on a couple of them. Uh, one is that there's this hypocrisy that you describe with this, uh, really the rise of corporate tech oligarchies. And that these are people who are living the lifestyle of wanting to benefit from capitalism, yet they go in and they sell it as if that's the worst evil that's ever been perpetuated on earth. And so they have this type of hypocrisy. And so where do you see um, big tech and these sort of oligarchy uh, businesses that are coming in and selling this notion? How do we as the American people combat that when everything is about uh, these big corporate conglomerates that have such a huge voice, especially when they're unionized? Well, look, I think you put a finger on the pulse that's really important to just unpack a little bit further, which is how this actually works out for big business. When corporations discovered wokeness, the inevitable happened. They used it to make money. And there's effectively this backroom grand bargain that began following actually the 2008 financial crisis, which is actually an untold story, which is after the 2008 financial crisis, Occupy Wall Street, that posed a real threat to big business. It posed a real threat to Wall Street. But if you're Wall Street, even if Occupy Wall Street's a tough pill to swallow, wokeism is actually pretty easy. Like I said, applaud diversity and inclusion, create an affinity group for analysts of color, put some token minorities on boards. That stuff is easy. And so effectively what happened was that big banks were happy to dance to the new woke tune. They were happy to lend their money and their legitimacy to the, to the woke movement. But their ask in return was that you work with your friends in the Democratic Party to leave our power intact. And that worked so masterfully that Silicon Valley and big tech started copying their move as well. And the way that deal works is that we basically agree to censor any content that you don't like on the internet. But in return, again, you'll work with your friends in the Democratic Party to leave our monopoly power intact. And I'm sorry to say, it's actually working out masterfully. And so it wasn't this marriage of love. It's more of an arranged marriage of convenience. I think it's more like mutual prostitution. But the net result of that 
was the birth of this new monster, what I call the woke industrial complex, that was neither big government nor big business alone, but this new hybrid of the two that was far more powerful than either one alone. I think it's the most powerful force we've seen in the course of American history. And yet we're unable to do anything about it because on the one hand, liberals love these woke causes, but on the other hand, conservatives, and, and we conservatives on the right, if I may include myself in that bucket, are often hamstrung by our own intellectual philosophy from 40 years ago, which said that the free market can do no wrong without realizing that the free market that we idealize doesn't actually exist today. And that's actually where a lot of the legislative solutions that I come up with in the book are rooted in the idea that we tell ourselves that we live in a free market, but there are actually ways in which that market has been polluted such that we actually have statutory favoritism hardwired into the US code that gives certain classes of companies undue corporate influence mm -hmm. and power. And that's what we need to unwind and undo. I think it's the future of the conservative movement. Yeah, like, like Section yeah. 230, for example, if we're talking about big tech. But we also, sure. I think you're completely right that we have this problem of the free market. And we also have this problem, uh, frankly, that's written into the Bill of Rights in the Constitution, which is uh, the freedom of association. And so when you look at things like Citizens United, for example, that says, OK, well, if everyone can invest their money in politics however they prefer, and that's true democracy, which is having a voice with our finances. What's the problem with aggregating our power together? And instead of one one person with one dollar individually contributing, we have a million people with a million dollars, for example, or fewer people with stronger dollars that can aggregate themselves. And so now we have this problem, I think, of this sort of freedom of association that has basically given this unlimited power to uh, oligarchies of corporations. And so how do you see that uh, shaping the legal landscape? Yeah, so I think the legal landscape is actually pretty, there's low hanging fruit that's pretty simple. First, you go after abuses of the law themselves. So let's talk about section 230 for a second because it's often misunderstood. Effectively, what is happening today with big tech censorship isn't the idea of a private company simply deciding on its own to allow what, what content to allow on its website or not. That'd be fine if they were operating as actual private companies. But what's actually happening today is something far more perverse, which is that these so-called private companies are actually being goaded into censoring political content on one end of the political spectrum by the people who are in charge in the House in the Senate and the White House. It's now single party control. And that's actually when we have seen big tech censorship pick up most aggressively, because every few months they're now called before Congress, before the Senate to testify. And they say, hey, if you don't go out and censor hate speech and misinformation, as we, the party in power, define it, we're going to come after you. We're going to break you up. We're going to regulate you. We're going to make it swift. Those are almost exact quotes from recent testimony. These guys then fly in their private, private jets back to the other coast, and they do exactly what their Democratic overlords told him to do. But by the way, there's also this special form of protection, Section 230 immunity, that gives them li liability shielding at the state level to go out and do exactly that. So my view is if you apply both this legislative threat as the government and you provide this legislative carrot again as the government, that's really just state action masquerading as the action of private enterprise. And if that's the case, then there's actually longstanding Supreme Court jurisprudence that says that it ought to be bound by the same standards as the US government itself, namely the US Constitution and the First Amendment. So my view for a legislative solution here is even to make that clearer, I think we could litigate those cases in court right now on the basis of case law. But if we really wanted to make it clear, we could amend Section 230 to make it an opt-in statute to say that, hey, you can't have it both ways. If you really want to operate as a private company without this special form of protection, go ahead and do it. But that doesn't mean that you're benefit.
Yeah. Well, we're going to take a break here and we'll be right back with more with Vivek Ramaswamy and his brand new book. You don't want to miss this. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome back to Just the Truth, and we're continuing the conversation with Vivek Ramaswamy, who is the author of the brand new book, Woke Inc., Inside America's Corporate uh, Social Justice Scam. So, uh, Vivek, I, I think this is such an important conversation for people to actually recognize how the oligarchy of the free market, as you've described it, is actually undercutting democracy. And before we left, um, you were talking about the uh, the Section 230 amendments and some of the really easy, low-hanging fruit fixes. Why isn't the GOP doing this? Well, look, I think the Republican Party has, has long been a party that's a front for corporate interests. And I think if there's one good thing that comes out of this new divorce between the right and corporate interests, it's that we might actually be able to have an opportunity to have a party that represents actual conservative values. Personally, I don't even know what it means to be a Republican right now. I don't call myself a Republican for that reason. I call myself a conservative. But I actually think that that this sad state of affairs could actually result in an opportunity to reinvent a party that actually stands for a political set of values rather than what a corporation or what a given person says on a given day. But, but let me let me give you one other example of what, what a policy that I'd love to see the GOP spearhead that nobody's had courage to take up yet, but which would actually be really simple and goes to the essence of our current moment. And that's this. Corporations today, in the name of operating in the free market, are actually firing everyday conservatives for their points of view expressed at work or even increasingly expressed at home or on social media or on their own times. And even if they're not firing them, people are speaking in a way that they know that they're operating under the shadow of possibly foregoing a promotion, possibly foregoing their job. And to me, you don't have to choose between the American dream and free speech, the ability to express yourself and putting food on the dinner table. America's a place that you get to have both of those things. And so to me, an easy solution to that is to add political belief right there next to race, sex, religion, and national origin in Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. As a protected class, yeah. Absolutely. Either we have no protected classes at all, or if we have protected classes, then there's no reason that you ought to be able to discriminate on the basis of political belief when you can't discriminate against somebody because they're black or Muslim or gay or Asian or whatever. I think we ought to apply those standards evenly. And I think that's the calling card for our moment. Same thing I told you with respect to Section 230 protection. You can't have it both ways. Either we believe here in the free market being able to do what it does effectively on its own, or we don't. But if we don't, then we ought to apply those standards evenly. And I think that's actually the calling card for the new conservative movement is to really level the playing field when it comes to applying our laws evenly rather than accepting the one-sided regulation that we've seen in the past. Yeah, and I think that absolutely makes sense because if we look at the context of, for example, religious discrimination and saying these are sincerely held religious beliefs, well, politics has become essentially a religion in today's society. And so it's very similarly saying that our sincerely held political beliefs cannot uh, be a cause for discrimination in the marketplace. But also, you know, moving forward um, to, to some of these 
ways that we're participating in the free market as, as it's kind of defined in America. But I think that you said this really well, that there's not really a free market in the sense that our founders contemplated when you have these big companies that are basically running everything. Um, a lot of conservatives have turned to boycotts on things. Do you think that that's actually an effective strategy when you have a couple of big corporations that are largely running a lot of product in the marketplace? So I understand why people are turning to boycotts. On principle, I'm not a fan of consumer boycotts, and I'll tell you why. I think the thing that we ought to restore is a marketplace of ideas where we engage in open debate, open disagreement, open dialogue. That ought to be the way that we settle our most important political questions. And instead, what we've seen is on the emergence now in the progressive left of the idea of using force as a substitute for open dialogue and debate as a way of settling our ideas. I think that has completely killed our free speech culture in this country. According to the Cato Institute, over 60%, Jenna, just think about this, over 60% of Americans are, are afraid to express their true beliefs in public because of the current environment. That's not America, that's a distortion of it. But to me, I don't think the right answer is necessarily to fight force with force. I think that we have to think about other deeper culturally curative solutions. The answer, the, the analogy I sometimes use is it's like fighting terrorism abroad, right? We fight terrorists who are willing to strike civilians, who are willing to strike children. It would be easier in the short term if we were able to adopt their methods in return, but we don't. And that's what defines effectively who we are. We, otherwise, we would just join their church under a new name. I feel the same way when it comes to fighting intellectual terrorism, which is what the woke movement represents today. It is harder in the short term to rise deeper and dig deeper to be able to revive our common values, which is ultimately what I think we need to do is re revive what American identity is and use that to dilute wokeism to irrelevance. I understand where people come from when it comes to consumer boycotts, but both from the standpoint of effectiveness, but more importantly, from distinguishing the essence of what we're trying to accomplish, it's actually to restore the power of our democracy rather than to cave into using market force, using one side, using the same weapons as the other to fight it. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I think if you look at the, the Democrat strategy and the leftist strategy, they have so many different angles that they attack this problem. And it seems like, like we've been talking about with the GOP, we're just not as organized. And we don't have ways of incrementalism uh, to roll these things back. We don't stand up as boldly. We're afraid, frankly, of being canceled or being called names like, you know, racist or insurrectionist or any other sort of uh, philosophy, white supremacist, you know, what have you, rather than having a more comprehensive comprehensive strategy. So in the last just about minute that we have, um, what's really the bottom line of your uh, best solution that you propose in the book? I know we've talked a little bit about legislative as well, um, but some of the things that uh, individuals can do right now to combat wokeism. Look, I think that there's a lot of legislative solutions I discuss in the book, but that's really just symptomatic therapy. What we really need is a cultural cure. I think one of the areas begins with actually civic education. Instead of just remembering all of the ways we've fallen short of our ideals, in the process, we've actually forgotten what those ideals even were in the first place. And I think we need yes. to revive our shared sense of history. We've spent a decade celebrating our diversity, so much so that we've actually forgotten all of the ways in which we're the same as one people. And I think if the 2010s were the diversity decade, then let the 2020s be a new decade, including through civic education, of reviving those shared ideals that bind us together. And if we can do that, we'll dilute wokeism and critical race theory to irrelevance, not just by stamping it out, but by making it seem silly in comparison to that common American identity that we all share in common. Mm, so well said. And, you know, as our founder said, they unanimously agreed on the principles of liberty, which the Declaration acknowledged. And then we built a society based on that common shared moral 
idea, virtue, and premises of principle. So uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, thank you so much for joining me tonight. And I look forward to uh, reading your book and also having you back on soon to talk about this more. Thanks so much for your expertise. That's it for this episode of Just the Truth. I'm Jenna Ellis, and we are sponsored by the Thomas More Society, which is a not-for-profit national public interest law firm dedicated to restoring respect in law for life, family, and religious liberty. You can find out more about the Thomas More Society and the incredible work that we do there at thomasmoresociety.org. And I will be back tomorrow and every Monday through Friday here on Just the Truth.